you listen to the news or read the newspaper or listen to talk radio or just talk to people at work, you realize that we live in a pretty sinful nation right now. Uh, anyone that's over the age of 50 knows that times are a lot different now than when we grew up. Our kids and, and us, everyone's having to deal with situations that we never dreamed that we would have to deal with. We live in a pretty perverse situ- uh, nation right now. Our country and uh, government is promoting a lot of ungodly practices. And if we Christians say anything, we're quickly reminded that the Bible says to not judge people. Anytime we try to say something, the thing that comes up is non-Christians quoting the Bible says, the Bible says don't judge. And they're right. There are a lot of places in the Bible that say don't judge. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1 says, judge not that you be not judged. We don't want to be a hypocrite, do we? Romans 3 and 23 says, reminds us, says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, so we're all in the same boat. Therefore, what business do I have saying anything about what somebody else does? Paul wrote the Romans in verse chapter 14 and verse 4. He says, who are you to judge another man's servant? James said the same thing. Uh, he says, who are you to judge another? So the Bible constantly tells us to not judge, and of course the non-Christians like to remind us not to judge. But let's read another verse. Let's go to John chapter 7 and verse 24. This is Jesus talking right here. And Jesus says the same thing. He says, do not judge. And that's where the world wants to stop. Do not judge. But what Jesus said is, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Here's a commandment from Jesus telling us that it is our job to judge. But he warns us. He said, don't judge according to appearance. Judge with righteous judgment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where Paul is talking about the church, how the or, uh, the worship assembly, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 29, Paul says, let two or three prophets speak. And of course, that's what we do in the afternoon. Uh, when we do the applications, we limit it to three people. One of the reasons, or I guess the reason is, Paul says, let two or three prophets speak. And what does he say the others are supposed to do? And let the others judge. What do you know? We are supposed to judge. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's talking about different uh, gifts that were given to people by the Spirit. And of course, these were all things that the church needed to grow. And we still need these things today. Um, beginning in verse 8, Paul says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge. Verse 9 says, To another faith, gifts of healing, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits. What does it mean to discern? To discern means to look at something and examine it, figure it out. And the church back then needed people that could discern the spirits. In First in First John chapter four, John wrote, "Beloved, believe not every spirit." The old King James says, "Try." The new King James says, "Test the spirits, whether they are of God." If one prophet is speaking or one, one person is speaking in church, the others are supposed to judge to make sure what he's saying 
is what God says. And it's not something He's come up with His own ideas. John warned us when we hear someone teaching that we're supposed to listen to them and we're supposed to discern. We're supposed to judge. We're supposed to say, is this guy of God? Or is this guy a false prophet? So we're warned or we're told in many places to judge. If you even notice in Matthew chapter 7, where non-Christians like to quote, it says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And he says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck out of your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then what? Then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Paul doesn't say, or Jesus doesn't say, you mind your own business and leave everyone else alone. He says, take care of yourself first, and then you can help others. Paul says, or keep saying Paul. Jesus says, with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. He's warning us not to condemn people. Not to be a hypocrite. Not to sit there and point all the faults of everyone else and never look at ourselves. It's like the guy told me years ago, take care of yourself and you'll stay busy. Jesus says, take care of yourself first. And then what? Then you can help others. Jesus never told us to not judge other people. Uh, I've seen a deal on Facebook and it's got a, it's got a picture of Matthew chapter 7. And right up here it says, judge not. But then they've taken a marker and marked out the whole rest of the passage. And that's what people do to us when they say, well, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge other people. Well, the Bible says that we are supposed to judge. First Corinthians chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Paul is, um, that's 2 Corinthians. Paul is getting on to them here because what they're doing is they're getting upset at each other and they're taking, fellow Christians are going to court with each other. And Paul says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? He says, do you not know that the saints, who are the saints? The saints are Christians. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? And he goes on talking about judging. You know, Jerry Lee Lewis uh, had a song says, a whole lot of shaking going on. When you read this, this chapter here, it sounds like there's a whole lot of judging going on, doesn't it? And Paul's commanding us to do the same thing. He's uh, telling us to, to make judgments to, between right and wrong. So what does God mean? What did Jesus mean when he said judge not? He just wanted us to be fair with other people and judge them the same way we want to be judged. Because Matthew chapter 7, that same chapter, is what we call the golden rule. Whatever you want other people to do to you, do the same to them. Do you want people condemning you? Let's be careful not to condemn people. Do you want people helping me, helping you with your faults? Then let's help other people and not be condemning. James warns in James chapter 2 and 13 says, For he shall have judgment without mercy who has shown no mercy. You know, what we say nowadays is what goes around comes around. 
You may have seen people, uh, uh, maybe a, a boss at work that was just really hard to get along with and just really mean to his employees. And then lo and behold, guess who gets fired? <laughs> what goes around comes around. And Jesus is warning us here in Matthew chapter 7 that what goes around comes around. Judge not that you be not judged. Use the golden rule. So we've established a fact with these verses and, and others that Christians are to judge. To judge means to make a decision, to, to de- determine between two things, between right and wrong. So who are we supposed to judge? One of the things we've already talked about is that we're supposed to judge teachers. First John chapter 4, John warned that there are many false prophets gone out in the world. He said, therefore, test the spirits, whether they are of God or whether they're false prophets. Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall in the ditch. Do you want to believe someone that's wrong and fall into the ditch and be lost? I don't. Then we need to test the spirits. We need to try them. We need to judge them whether they are of God. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, we talked about the, the gift of discerning. To discern means to distinguish mentally, to discern right from wrong. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14 talks about those who having their senses, by reason of exercise, have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. You know, a person that's 40 or 50 or 60 years old can can understand a lot more than a little five-year-old because we've been through a lot. We've seen some scams. We've been lied to. We may have been cheated. We've seen what happens to other people. And having our senses exercised, we can discern between good and evil. Discern, to discern means to discriminate. Oh, you can't discriminate. Well, wait. What does discriminate mean? To discriminate means to recognize the distinction, to tell the difference. If you can't tell the difference between a $10 bill and a $20 bill, you might come up short some change. If you can't dis- discriminate or d- discern between a policeman and a gang member with his pants down to here and a gun in his belt and a hoodie on on a dark street at 2 in the morning, if you can't discern the difference, if you can't discriminate, you might get yourself in trouble. Jesus warned us. He says, I send you out as sheep among wolves. He said, be Wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. We need to be wise. We don't need to be naive. I said uh, 1 John chapter 4 says that we are to test the spirits. To test means to check the uh, quality of, the reliability of, or performance before putting it into practice. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7? He said, by their fruits... You will know them. We can see what people do, how they act. We can judge them by by what they do. So Jesus teaches, the Bible teaches that we are to judge teachers. My call told me that he likes my mom in Lubbock because she'll go up to the preacher afterwards, after church, and she'll talk to him about things that he said, maybe things that he said wrong, and, and she'll correct him. She does it in a nice way. Mike Hall says, I appreciate that. We should be judging the teachers, not just here, but on television or or wherever. 
who else are we supposed to judge? Well, we're supposed to judge ourselves. We already looked at Matthew chapter 7, which says, Judge not that you be not judged. Jesus says, take care of yourself first. And then you can see clearly to take care of other people. We need to judge ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where it's talking about the Lord's Supper, says, but let a man examine himself. We need to look and see what kind of life that we're living. See what kind of person we really are. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, Paul again warns, examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in your name? And then I'll say, I never knew you. There are a lot of people, maybe someone in here today, that thinks they're saved. That's not. And it's going to be surprised on judgment day. And that's why Paul warned us. He says, examine yourselves whether you're in the faith. We're supposed to judge ourselves. Another favorite story of non-Christians is found in John chapter 8. And this is where um, the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus was teaching, and they went and found a woman that had been caught in adultery, and they brought her and set her in the midst of the people there and asked Jesus. They said, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. They weren't interested in the woman. They weren't interested in her salvation. They weren't interested in helping her get out of the sin. They were using this woman to test Jesus. But Jesus ignored them. The Bible says that that Jesus stooped down on the ground and stooped down and wrote on the ground with his fingers as as if he didn't hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Because that's how they killed people back then. They stoned them to death. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised Himself up and saw no one but the woman, He said to her, Woman, were those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. And so this is a favorite story of non-Christians. They like to point at us and say, Well, who are you to cast stones at me? Are you better than me? Well, no, we're not. But what did Jesus tell the woman? He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's like we tell our little kids. Don't let me catch you doing that again. I'll let you buy this time. Don't you ever do that again. Jesus didn't say her sin was okay. He said, don't worry about it. Just go on, whatever. That's what the world wants us to do. We talk about homosexuality or, uh, or whatever. And people say, who are you to judge me? Who are you to throw a stone at me? Jesus said, go and sin no more. 
He loved the woman, but he didn't want her involved in sin. Jesus hates sin. God hates sin. So we're to judge ourselves. We're supposed to examine ourselves whether we're in the faith. Are we living a life worthy of His name, worthy of His calling? Or are we a hypocrite? Coming here and acting one way and going out and acting another way. Let a man examine himself. Now I want to throw in a little side note here. We're supposed to judge teachers, preachers. We're supposed to judge ourselves. I want to throw in a little side note here. To state a truth is not judging. If I say the world is round, have I judged anyone? Are you mad? Have I pointed a finger at you? That's just a fact. The astronauts have gone into outer space. We see pictures. And the world is round. It's a sphere. That's a fact. Is that judging? No, it's just a fact. There's a God. Is that judging anybody? No. That's my belief. Some people say there is no God. That doesn't offend me. They've not judged me. It's just what they believe. It's what they believe to be a fact. Now, what if I say God will judge the world? Now, that's where a lot of people get upset. Because a lot of people are living in sin. And they don't want to be told or reminded that one day, every knee is going to bow to Jesus. And that we're going to be held accountable for the way we've lived our life. But is that judging anyone? That's just a fact. There's a God. There's going to be a judgment day. What if I say, God says homosexuality is a sin. Well, you're going to make a lot of enemies now. Why? Because there's a lot of people that think that's okay. There's a lot of people that are living that way. I got a call from a pool customer or from a woman recently wanted me to look at her pool. And it was very obvious when I got out there that she was a lesbian. There's a lot of people out there now and they don't hide it anymore. These two people hit it. Now they don't hide it. If I say God says homosexuality is a sin, have I judged anyone? A lot of people think I have. But that's just a fact. I'm just repeating what I've read in here, what God says. Jesus said in John chapter 17, He prayed to God, Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. If I quote something out of here, I'm just telling the truth. I'm not judging anybody. Let me show you another way. What if I say, uh, Homosexuality is a sin. Have I offended anybody in here? It's just a statement. I didn't judge anybody. What if I say, Speeding is a sin. Oh, now some of you, Get your hair bristled because some of you speak. I don't know who, so you don't have to worry. But you see, it's different when I say something is wrong that you're doing. If I say lying is a sin, that may get your hair bristled. Because you feel like I've stepped on your toes, like the old timer said. He said he's done quit preaching and done gone to meddling. But all I did was state a fact. When we state a truth that someone doesn't like... One of the first things they'll often do is try to take the heat off themselves and put the pressure back on you by saying, hey, you're not supposed to judge. But you haven't judged. You've just stated a fact. So don't fall for that ploy. I've noticed listening to people on on the radio, reading the newspaper, in interviews on, on TV or Fox News or whatever, that when someone is backed into a corner and what they're saying is wrong, and the other person has shown that it's wrong with facts or whatever, all of a sudden that other person's not going to say, I never thought about that. You're right. 
they're going to come back and start attacking the other person with, you can't judge me. Who are you to say, blah, 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 that's my belief, and all these excuses. You just start watching from now on. People hardly ever say, I'll have to think about that. They always come back on the offensive because you've said something that they don't like. So remember, to state the truth is not judging. So don't fall for that argument when people try to turn it around on you. Remind them that all you did was state the truth. Um, I can't remember if it's Jesus or Paul. It says, Am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So we're supposed to judge preachers, we're supposed to judge ourselves, and we're supposed to judge other people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, one of the reasons Paul wrote 1 Corinthians is because in the church at Corinth, there was a man having intimate relationship with his stepmother, and the church didn't care, didn't bother them at all. And Paul wrote to them, said, I write this to your shame, that you don't care about this. And so when... Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And in verse 3, Paul says, For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present concerning him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In other places, Paul talks about withdrawing from someone, not even eating with them. Why? So they'll be ashamed, like when we send our kids to the room. they got all their friends over and they're playing and our kid hits one of them and we send them to the room. Why? So they'll be ashamed and feel bad, and repent, and come back and play well with other kids. Do the right thing. In verse 11, Paul says, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do not you judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves that wicked person. You know what this means? This means we're going to have to look at somebody. And poor Dusty needs to sit at the back of the church. And if he's doing something wrong, one of these sins, and there's a few others mentioned in other places, we don't just blow it off. We call it to his attention and say, you can't keep doing this. You're blaspheming the word of God. You're embarrassing the church. And if he doesn't repent, then we need to do what Paul said here. You know what that means? That means we're judging someone. That means we're saying, you're a sinner. You're doing something wrong, and you can't keep doing this. And if you do, we're going to do something about it. Christians are called to judge other people. It sounds to me like people that tell us, that we're not supposed to judge, don't know the Bible very well, do they? They're picking out two words that they like and quoting that and ignoring the rest. So, we're supposed to judge other people. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about our attitude when we have to do this. 
You know, as parents, we've heard it said, you know, we spank our kids and we say, so it's going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you because we don't like to have to punish our kids. A lot of times as parents, looking back, I can remember where I would tell my kids not to do something and I'd tell them and I'd tell them. I'd say, if you do that, I'm going to whip you. And I'd get mad and I would yell at them and I finally whipped them. Why did I put it off so long? Because I didn't want to have to do that. But it needed to be done. Once I got it done, the problem stopped. We don't want to have to, to be harsh with a fellow Christian. But sometimes it needs to be done. But what attitude do we need to have about it? <clears throat> well, let's look at God. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, Peter writes that God is long-suffering towards us. We use the word patient. He's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want a mass murderer to go to hell. He doesn't want Hitler to go to hell. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. And He's patient with us. Therefore, we need to be patient with other people. We need to give people time to accept emotionally what they know mentally. If you've grown up believing something all your life, and then someone shows you out of the Bible, out of a science book, that you're wrong... You see right away that they're right. But you just can't accept it. Man, you know, that's hard hard to accept. We need to give people time to accept emotionally what they know logically. God is patient with us. In Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11, God, God says, As I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's real easy when someone gets what they deserve to laugh and say, he had it coming. God doesn't have any pleasure in the death of the wicked. We need to develop the same attitude. Jesus said, Luke 19 and verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I like Dustin's application a week or two ago when he talked about we get road rage, and we get mad because a car cuts us off. But all what we're doing is we're looking at a hunk of metal. And Dustin said, we need to look inside and see that that's a human being. And then he made the application that we need to not look at the outside of somebody, the tattoos, the shabby clothes, or the, the nice clothes, the funny haircut. And we need to look inside, and we need to see a soul that needs Jesus and that needs to be saved. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. We need to have the same concern. Jesus also said in John chapter 10, in verse 10, the thief comes through to, to kill and to steal and to destroy, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We Christians leave a good life and we should want to share that with other people. We need to have that mind of Christ where we are concerned about other people. And we don't point our finger at them and say, well, they deserve that, or I would hate for them to come to our church. We need to see other people the way God sees other people and the way Jesus sees other people. So what should our attitude be? Well, we already talked about being long-suffering or being patient. In Galatians chapter 6, in verse 1, Paul writes, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, 
You which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. If you've got an old book, a 500-year-old Bible, or if you've got a, a painting that's been found by Monet, and they, they get it out of this closet, and they're going to restore it, they work with it very, very gently so they don't damage it. When we're trying to restore a fellow Christian, we should deal with them gently so we don't damage the relationship. When we're trying to convert someone, we need to deal with them gently so that we don't run them off. We need to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves, gently. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says I th- in verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to have a walk or to have a life worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Any of you that have any age on you or that know much about church history in the, in the 1900s, there were a lot of people that were so interested in getting sin out of the church and withdrawing from people. They destroyed people, they destroyed families, and they destroyed congregations. Paul here talks about dealing with people with gentleness, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Our ultimate goal should be the welfare of the church and the people in it. To not damage the church. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. In First Thessalonians chapter 2, or chapter, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul wrote to them and he said that we were bold to speak the Word of God to you. But then a few verses later he said we were as gentle as nursemaids. You can be gent- bold with someone and tell them the truth, but you can be nice about it. Colossians 4 and chapter 6 says, But let your speech... Be always with grace. What's grace? We talk about the grace of God. The grace of God is goodness and kindness that I don't deserve and that you don't deserve. But He does it anyway because He loves us. Let our speech be always with grace. Be nice to somebody even if they don't deserve it. Even if they cussed at you. Even if they lied to you. Even if they stabbed you in the back. Let your, your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how to answer every man. Be harmless as doves, but be wise as serpents. We need to know how to talk to people. How would I want them to talk to me? We need to talk to them the same way. Let your speech be always with grace. Second um, Timothy chapter 2. In verse 24, And the servant of the Lord, O King James says, must not strive, and you King James says, And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all men. There's that word again. But be gentle to all, able to teach, patience, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will give them repentance, so that they may know the truth. Remember, 
months ago, I talked about the Colombo method, how to talk to people, how to ask questions. And one of the things we talked about is if either of you get mad, you've lost. Because now nothing productive is going to come out of this conversation. Here he says, the servant of the Lord must not argue, but be gentle to all men. That's how we need to talk to people. First, uh, Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy... Verse 2 says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince. Old King James says, reprove. Rebuke. Exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. To reprove means to kindly or with a kind intent to correct somebody. You're being nice about it. To rebuke carries a little sterner meaning. That suggests a sharp or stern reproof. Sometimes that's necessary. To exhort means to really, really encourage someone to do something. Someone's looking to get a new car. You know, I'd get a Chevy. They make good cars. The guy says, I like Ford too. All right. He goes out and get a Ford. You um, really need to change the oil in your car. Well, I changed it 12,000 miles ago. You really, really need to change the oil in your car. Well, why is that? You're going to lose an engine, and then your car is going to be totaled. You really, really, really need to change the oil in your car. I'm not going to argue about Chevy and Ford. That's not important. You really, really need to change the oil in your car, or you're going to be without a car. That's exhorting. You feel strongly about it. You want the other person to understand how important it is. or Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul starts off 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, if I could get up here and speak 27 languages, I could speak to our Indian brother and our Chinese brother, and have not love, I have become as a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. In other words, no meaning to it. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but I have love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. We've got to love our enemies, our fellow Christians, and the people we work with. So Paul explains, he said, love suffers long. We're patient with people. I've told them a hundred times about this verse, and they still don't understand. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love is not puffed up, not arrogant. Love does not behave rudely towards people. It's not provoked. Love doesn't think evil about other people. God, he's such an idiot. He's... He'll never get this. He's such an idiot. Love doesn't think that way. If you find yourself thinking that way about somebody, you need to correct it. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. There's a verse in Proverbs. He says, when your enemy stumbles, don't be glad about that. Lest God see your attitude and be displeased with you. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Anyone that's got kids knows that you have to put up with a lot of stuff. Anyone that's an elder knows you've got to put up with a lot of stuff. Love bears all things. It believes all things. 
I can see one day this person becoming a strong Christian. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. That's the attitude that we need to have about people even when we don't like them. Carrie likes to laugh at me. I saw a deal on Facebook. It says, uh, uh, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. <laughs> Carrie says, that is you to a T. <laughs> this is the attitude we need to have. Gentleness, long-suffering, patience. The attitude that God has towards us. The attitude that Jesus has towards us. We have to judge other people. We have to realize that they're doing wrong. And then we have to help them out of the wrong. We hate the sin, but we love the sinner. And so I've talked about these things. The fact that we are supposed to judge. We're not supposed to condemn, but we are supposed to judge. We're supposed to make a decision between right and wrong. And then we're supposed to help the people that are caught in the snare of the devil. If perhaps God will give them repentance to salvation. So, I've talked about this, like I said, if you listen to talk radio or read the news or magazine articles or TV, you see it all the time. You're not supposed to judge. You're not supposed to judge. So next time you want to stand up for the truth, don't be intimidated by that kind of argument. Hopefully you can see through it. Remember the things we talked about here. Remember these verses and not be intimidated by it. Go ahead and speak the truth. Paul says that we're in a spiritual warfare. He talked to Timothy about being a good soldier. If you see the enemy coming and you hightail it, you're not a good soldier. We've got to stay there with the enemy, see through their arguments, and try to lead them to the truth. We'll sing a song of invitation. If there's any way we can help you, we'll do that.